And um, <laughs> we're going to uh, start a new series on the rapture generation, talking about the rapture of the church. Um, and we're mainly heading into the area of uh, being prepared for the rapture. Amen. And look at some of the signs that are compelling to us. And there is so much in the Bible and so much in everyday life. We're living in that generation where uh, there's nothing waiting, if you will, from, from what I can see that would not we're waiting to transpire for, the, for Jesus to come back for his church. And so, uh, and as we see things transpiring around about us with technology, uh, the, the prophecies are more clear today than they've ever been. You know, I remember getting saved. I got saved at a time when we thought Jesus was coming back like the next day. We, we used to watch all the end times films all the time. Every, we had them, we, every outreach, we show an end times film, Thief in the Night. We would go around the different trailer courts, plug into electricity, was when we had the reel-to-reel, -reel, and that's how we did our outreaches. Every week we'd do an outreach somewhere and do the end times film, so we knew them by heart, you know what I'm saying? And, and so we really did believe Jesus was coming back, even though, you know, that was a time when you had, you know, the 70s, the later 60s, the Six-Day War, the... Uh, war, Yom Kippur and all those, those two different wars that went on. And even so, you know, all of a sudden things started unfolding, even with those things. Hal Lindsey was writing all the books, Late Great Planet Earth, Rapture, all different kinds of books and such. And, uh, you know, obviously we're living in a day today where people are so smart now they're coming against the rapture, coming against all the things, and a lot of things are changing. But that's part of the end times as well. All of a sudden, the church is starting to kind of like autoimmune disease. It's starting to turn on itself, and we're accepting sin that we never accepted before. We're not believing what we used to believe, all these different things. And so that's a part of what's going on as well. But I want to look at, uh, I believe this is very important. And, uh, you know, obviously there's people that are attacking the rapture, the pre-tribulation rapture specifically, trying to persuade people to move away from this doctrine, amen. But doctrine has consequences. And, uh, you know, what you believe does matter. And, and what you believe does animate and does, you know, it animated me. I thought Jesus was coming back at any time. I was ready to flush everything in, in the world to serve God. And we lived like that, we, you know, not because we were cultish or anything, it was a motivation to tell people about Jesus. It was a motivation in my life personally to, you know, not be anchored to the world. Um, I didn't get everything right, obviously, but the point is it did motivate me just like it motivated the first century church. And so this morning, I think this is very uh, important. Um, and so what we're going to look at is before we get into, you know, um, being prepared and the signs, um, we want to look at uh, the principle of the rapture itself. And so our text this morning is 2 Timothy 4, 4 through 8. That's going to be our text this morning. Phil, you can get that. We're going to line up some scriptures. We have a number of them, so um, you can help me out. I need Hebrews 11, verse 5. Ken? 
I need 2 Kings 2, verse 11, Nick. I need Acts 1, 9 through 11, um, Caitlin. I need John 14, 2 and 3, Santina. Let me just stop right there, just for a moment. We have quite a few more, so we'll just stop right there. Okay, so I, I realize at home you're not probably going to be able to hear every scripture being read, uh, but you have the references. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can just kind of follow along. Uh, we're going to read our text this morning, 2 Timothy 4, 4 through 8. Nice and loud, as loud as you can. <laughs> Okay, so in this text, he's warning about, you know, doctrine being changed even in the first century. But he makes that statement. He says, all those who love his appearing, I believe it's the focus on the rapture. When you read through the letters that Paul wrote, especially to Thessalonica, Timothy as well, Titus, uh, he mentions this. He brings this out. Jude brings it out. And so this is not just something off the wall. This is something that is on center stage as far as Jesus coming back for his church. So I want to look, first of all, at the biblical history of the rapture. And the idea of the rapture, <clears throat> the instantaneous removal from earth, like you're here this moment and you're gone the next, is not a new uh, idea, amen. This idea has been shown in the Bible a number of times. William Mounts, he, he writes um, a lot of you know, literature in days gone by. He says, rapture, the rapture describes God's activity in physically and miraculously transporting people from one place to another. And we've seen this. First of all, we've seen Enoch. Enoch, one minute he's here, the next minute he is not. He was raptured. He was taken off the earth. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that Jesus pleased God. Okay, so he was translated, transferred, exchanged, transport. However you want to look at it, this is the first mention of the rapture in the Bible. And so the first mention is important. It's the law of first mention, right? And so th this, is, this is what it looks like right here. He's here. He's not here. <laughs> Why he got the lucky number, I don't know. He pleased God. He lived for God. I mean, you know, I think that's a lot of people. But, you know, whatever reason, uh, God chose to rapture this man. One minute he's here, one minute he's gone. And so he was taken off the earth bodily, and um, he never saw death. We have another illustration with Elijah, 2 Kings 2.11. Then 
And so Elijah was gone. In other words, he's, he, he, they couldn't find his body, right? The sons of the prophet went out looking for him. Elisha was like, he, he's not here. But they went looking for him anyways. And uh, they came back and said, we can't find him. Maybe he's here. Maybe he's there. Maybe he's anywhere. And Elisha's like, no, he's not here. He's up in heaven. He went up in a whirlwind to heaven, okay? And so this is the, the whole mindset. When you look at this, he, uh, he, he was suddenly gone, amen. He didn't die. He was raptured. Now, his was a little bit more spectacular. He went up in a chariot of fire. That's cool, amen. You know, I'd like to go up in a Corvette or something, but I don't think that's going <laughs> to... But, you know, he went up in a, in a vehicle. It's just very strange how he... He was transported from here to there. Doesn't matter. He's here one minute. He's gone the next. Acts 1, 9 through 11. Now when he had spoken these things, while they walked, he was taken up and a cloud of smoke came out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven and to the Lamb, behold, two men stood by them in white clothes, who said, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you, from you into heaven Okay, so here is Jesus. We know he has a physical body, right? We know he eats. We know he does everything that everybody else is doing. One minute he's with the disciples. As Acts points out, he is tra he's transported into heaven bodily. And, of course, the angel says the same way he left is the same way he's going to come. But the point is, he's raptured. He's bodily taken into heaven. Amen. And so... You know, this example of people just being snatched off the earth or just being here one moment and the next, it's not just some kind of a, a of, you know, we read a scripture and so then we, can't, and then we draw a picture to it. You know, we, we read a scripture and we go, well, this is what this means. It's first mentioned, uh, that's what it means. What it means is what happened to Enoch. What it means is what happened to Elijah. Or what happened to Jesus, amen. That's what it means. Transported from here to there bodily, not seeing death. And so the thought that this is just, you know, the, what do they call it, you know, the great disappearing act or, or, you know, they mock it. People mock it. You can get on the internet, you can find anything, it'll mock everything. But the point is, is that the, the whole idea is that this is not just something that has come out in the last couple of years. It's not a Pentecostal thing. It's not a, you know, whatever. It's, it's simply something that's been stated in the Bible here and there. And uh, it's not something that is new. The rapture. Uh, uh, these raptures, uh, you know, have a purpose. Amen. Obviously, God wanted them to be in heaven with him. Enoch pleased God. Amen. And so the Lord took him. John 14, 2 and 3. Oh, I was going to say something. Okay, so I mean, this is pretty obvious, but God wanted Enoch in heaven. You know, that's what God wants. You do know that. Amen. It's not like, oh, here they come. Oh, my goodness. Make room for the earthlings. It's not like that at all. God wants you to be with him. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. 
Amen. It's the picture of the Jewish wedding where the, where the bride, uh, you know, the, the groom and the bride, they're engaged. What engaged means in the Bible is that's it. It's over, right? She's the one. He's the one. Uh, uh, and it's set in concrete, okay? And so they're engaged, and she is at her parents' house probably waiting for him to come. He goes back to his father's house. The way the Jewish society worked, or that Asian society worked, is you would, you would build on to the father's house. You would have three or four different families. This is even true today. But you would have three or four families living in the same house. They would be autonomous, if you will, but they would be in one huge kind of compound. The son would come home come back to his father's house and then he would make it ready so when he went and got his bride you know they wouldn't be like sleeping in their car right they would come over and and they would have a place to stay that's what Jesus is talking about in my father's house are many mansions for we're not so I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you and so he's going as the bride bridegroom coming down for his bride which is the church and so the, the, the issue is the rapture is because he wants you to be there. Amen. He wants you to be there with him. Amen. And so the rapture, not only does God want us to be there with him in heaven, this is what this whole thing is about. God is coming down, you know, to his harvest, his souls. He died for you and I. I mean, this is everything to God. He gets you and I. Believe it or not, he gets you and I. That's what he wants. Secondly, it marks the finish of, an, of their earthly purpose. you got to understand, God plans things for our lives. We have a purpose to fulfill in the plans of God in the earth. That while we are here, we don't live unto ourselves, we live for God. It's a whole different story. That's what the Christian life is about, amen. You know, we have a purpose to complete and when we complete, we will then leave the earth. So, you know, either we're going to leave through death, which we do, or we're going to leave through the rapture, one or the other. I'm going one way or the other. So are you. <laughs> and there's no other way. And so, but while I'm here, I'm called to do what God has for me to do. Just like he has a plan for your life. And so the rapture marks the finish of the earthly purpose. It, it brings a shift in focus. You know, God shifted from focusing upon Elijah to focusing on Elisha. Elijah had a job to do. Remember, Elijah, Elijah went into the wilderness. Jezebel, you know, threw him off, off guard and off, you know, out of balance. He's out there and all this kind of stuff. God finally comes to him. And, you know, and it's like, well, why didn't God just take him then? Why didn't he rapture him then? Why didn't he just come down? Okay, I'll send the chariot. Gee whiz. <laughs> no. Why? Why? Because he still had work to do. He had to go anoint uh, Haziel and Jehu and Elisha. And when your work is finished, Elijah, then I will send the chariot and rapture you to heaven. And so it changes the focus from... Elijah to Elisha, from Jesus to his church, you and I, and the disciples and the apostles. So these are, these are um, there's a shift, amen, in focus. Now instead of, you know, instead of the emphasis being on Jesus and, and every, it's on the Holy Spirit, God's presence in our lives. Not just God's presence with us, now God's presence in us. 
There was a shift. He left. It's like he said. You go through the Gospels. He says, it's good that I leave. In fact, it's better that I leave because I'm going to send uh, the promise of the Father. I'm going to send the Comforter. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. So the focus now is not no longer on the physical Jesus. It's now on the Spirit of God that lives in every one of us. The biblical accounts of the rapture. Um, let me put this up here. I keep on blowing into it, blowing everybody's ears out. The biblical account of the rapture is for a it's it's for a pattern of the rapture. It's instantaneous. Mass removal, if you will, of all believers on earth to heaven. Why? Because God wants us with him. Our purpose on earth is fulfilled. God is a God of dispensations. He says it in Romans, when the times of the Gentiles have come to an end, then we focus, goes back on the nation of Israel. That's what you're reading from Revelations 4 on or 4 and a half on down to the end of the book to when he comes back with his church. Amen. The whole idea of the rapture is God changing his focus. He did it with, with uh, Jesus, did it with you know, Elijah. He's going to do it with us when he's going to rapture his church. Then we're shifting gears. And then we're talking about the judgment. We're talking about the seven-year period before Jesus comes back to the earth to establish his millennial kingdom. And so the rapture does have a purpose. We see it played out in Scripture. It's going to play out one more time when he raptures the church. Any thoughts this morning? Any ideas? Rebuttals? <laughs> Something you read on the internet? Bill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, quick. That extra bedroom comes in handy. <laughs> Don't open the door yet. So what Phil was saying for you online is, you know, it's, it's the, the idea is do we, do we love his appearing, right? Do, you know, do we want to see Jesus? And so uh, very true, very true. Sometimes people show up at your house. You're not really wanting to see their appearing because your house is a mess. <laughs> So that's kind of what we were saying. I have to remember, i got to do two different audiences here. I don't know how to do this. Am I talking to anybody? Is anybody else? Okay. <laughs> talking to myself. <laughs> anybody else this morning? Praise God. Let's look at the purpose of the rapture. Let me get a few more scriptures here, line up a few more scriptures. I need Acts 17, 30, and 31. That's right, I'm looking over here. Come on, help me out. There's only 25 of us in here. Don't kill me. Uh, Spencer, I need Zechariah 1.15. Lisa, can you get me Revelation 16.1? Over here, help me out. I need Jude 1, uh, 14 and 15. Jose, I need 1 Thessalonians 1.10. Uh, Phil, I need 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, Nick, Santina, get me Romans 11, 25 through 27. Two more. I need Revelations 3, 22 to 4, verse 1. That's Desiree. 
Revelations 3.22 to the end and 4 to 4 verse 1. 3.22 to 4.1. Yeah. I need 1 Corinthians 15, pretty 51 to 53. All right. Yes. You had, uh, did I say Zechariah? Okay, it's Zephaniah. I'm glad you said something. Yeah. It's not Zechariah. It's Zephaniah. About two books back or so. All right. Oh, that was a good catch. <laughs> okay. So I guess one of the questions um, that we, people ask, and one of the questions that we, we might even ask is, if we're going to die anyways, why have a rapture? <laughs> you know, it's like, why well, just let us die and make it heaven our home that way? Um, obviously, when we're looking in Scripture and looking at the rapture, there is a purpose. Obviously, you know, you remember that when the children of Israel were going to go into the promised land, they couldn't go at that point in time because the, the sins of the Amorites were not filled up. You say, what does that mean? I'm not positive what that means, but obviously God knows, you know, that, you know, we're not just going to judge people just because we don't like them. You know what I mean? God, kill them. It's like, what do you mean kill them? I want to save them. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like the disciples. Can we call down fire from heaven? Jesus is like, oh my goodness. You've been with me, what, three and a half years and you want to kill people? I mean, who you been hanging around with? What have you been watching on TV? You know, it's, it's, like, it's like that's not the spirit of God, but God does know there's a place. There's a place in people's hearts when possibly they go beyond the point of no return. I don't understand fully, but he does, and he says their sin is not filled up yet. So there was a timing, but when that timing came, um, then obviously Israel stepped over the Jordan and went in and, and possessed the land. And the same thing is true with, with the rapture. There's going to be a, come, a time where God is going to say, the line has been drawn. And he's going to call the church to himself. And then he's going to, it's going to turn from you know, reaping souls as far as the Gentiles to God's now going to start judging the earth once again. He's going to judge the earth, a time of tribulation, a time of judgment. And so only he knows when that, time is, when that time is, when that last Gentile gets saved. He raptures the church. And then you go into Revelation chapter 4 on through there. Um, and so obviously the rapture is to make way for the judgment. It's, it's a point in time where God shifts from mercy to judgment. Acts 17, 30 and 31. Okay, you know, the term describing this time are almost all terms of judgment. Uh, when you look in the, and I'm talking, referring to the seven-year period, when you look in the Old Testament, 21 times this period is, return, is referred to uh, uh, as a time of judgment. Okay, Zephaniah 1.15 
So he's talking about not just a day, he's actually talking about a period of time. That day, that moment of time. And he's describing the wrath of God to come. He's describing that time of judgment and the seven-year tribulation. The New Testament speaks of wrath or the wrath of God or the wrath to come. Revelation 16, verse 1. And so he's using figurative language, but he's talking about, you know, now the wrath of God is being poured out. You know, it's a little different when there's judgment going on here and there, but now he's pouring out his wrath. He's taking bowls and pouring it out on the earth. Amen. And so what does wrath mean? Well, wrath is simply anger or indignation at sin. It's, there's comes a time where you know uh, you have to be you have to be like blind not to see that we're not becoming more sinful even as our society moves on far more sinful than we've ever been and so you know the, the whole idea is that there's going to come a time when the earth is going to come to a place where God is going to shift from mercy to judgment and in that period he's going to rapture the church He's going to pour out his wrath, amen, his indignation at sin. Jude 1, 14 and 15. Okay, so this is uh, Enoch prophesied. He's going to come with 10,000 of his saints. Um, and he's going to, um, uh, you know, obviously, it's, it's actually talking about the Armageddon War after the seven-year tribulation, where it's going to culminate at this very point. Uh, he's going to um, execute judgment on all the ungodly, the ungodly deeds that the ungodly committed, it says, uh, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And so this is the Armageddon War. It's going to culminate there. And so this is one of the purposes of the rapture, obviously, is to shift from mercy to judgment. Another one is to spare his people from judgment. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, that's the Christians. Okay, he delivers us from the wrath of come. People say, well, that's hell. It's not hell. <laughs> okay, it's, it's, it's the judgment on the earth is what it is. Amen. 1 Thessalonians 5.9. Okay, and so, you know, obviously God is going to pour out his wrath on the earth and he doesn't want us to go through it. He's not going to pour out wrath on us. Uh, he didn't do it with Noah. He brought Noah through the flood and he poured out his wrath on the earth. God is, he repeats himself over and over again how he's going to remove you and I. 
before he pulls out, pours out his wrath. Amen. Because the wrath is what? It's indignation against sin and sinners, against their deeds, what they've committed, what they've said, all these things. And so he's not pouring that out on just everybody. Well, you know, you, you need to get it too. You need the wrath of God as well. I know you're saved, you love God, but hey, you know, it's not fair if they go through it and you don't. Well, what is that nonsense? That sounds like American politics. It's like, no, no, it's not about fairness. It's not about unfairness. It's about the judgment of God. Amen. And those that would sacrifice, you know, and, and say no to the flesh and say, you know what, I want to live for God and fight things through. He says, no, I'm not going to pour out my wrath on you. I'm pouring my wrath on the earth. I will remove you first. Just like he removed Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah before he poured out his wrath on Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you remember correctly, Lot really wasn't crazy about leaving. <laughs> I mean, he had to take the guy by the hand. He's a grown man. It's like, come on. You know what I mean? It was just like, what is with Lot, man? This is like messed up. But anyways, his mercy was poured out on, on Lot. He removed him. Uh, you know, connected with Abraham praying and interceding. But the whole point was he's pouring out his wrath. He lets us see that picture. And he says, but he removed Lot first. He's going to remove us first too. We're not going to go through the wrath of God. There's a third thing, and that is to shift the focus of his purpose from the Gentiles back to the Jews. And I think I might have mentioned this, but this is the, this portion of Scripture, Romans Chapter 11, verse 25 through 27. Okay, so obviously you can see this, that God operates in time frames. At, at, for, it went from the Jew to the Gentile. That doesn't mean he turned his back on all Jews. Plenty of Jews get saved today. Messianic Jews, all these different things. Uh, but, the, but the emphasis is the gospel to the Gentiles. And then, of course, you know, he went from law to grace. No longer is it keeping the law, even though some people today are trying to go back to the law, you know, and all the different things that are involved in that. And Gus says, no, I've, made, I've shift gears from the law, the, the dispensation with the Jews, and now it's to the Gentiles and the church. But there's going to come a day when he raptures the church, and then it's going to be, and as you read in Revelation, it all centers right back on the Jewish nation of Israel which is actually one of, the, one of the biggest signs on the planet for everything that's prophesied. It's amazing. If you just look at Israel, and if you look specifically at Jerusalem, it's, it'll blow your mind. Uh, it's just the history of it and how it's changed hands and how different things have happened. It, Israel is an amazing picture of prophecy. Prophecy centers on them, and they are one of the most amazing nations to this day that even though they were decimated all over the earth, there is not one people group that has been decimated all over the earth that's came back together as a people group. The Jews are the only, back, and not only just back, but back to their homeland, back to their original language, not Yiddish, 
not any other language, is back to Hebrew. <laughs> it's, it's an amazing thing if you read up on the history of it. It's mind-blowing. Don't tell me the Bible's not real. <laughs> Don't tell me what these guys have prophesied 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, and yet comes to pass in our lifetime. This is why we're doing the, the, the rapture generation. You can't miss it unless you want to miss it. And so it's just amazing, amen. But um, amen, his focus is going to shift. And the event that's going to change that focus is the rapture of the church. Not just, you know, <clears throat> you know and, and again, God's not just not focusing on, on Jews, but he's, the focus is on the Gentiles and the church. And, uh, but there's going to be a shift at the rapture. Revelations 22, 3.22 to 4.1. Okay, so it's interesting. He uses the phrase, these things. It doesn't say anything. It doesn't say rapture. It doesn't say the church has disappeared. But when you read from chapters 1 to 3, it's totally on the church. The focus is entirely on the church. And um, it's on the Gentiles. It's the, it's, the viewpoint is from the earth, right? Chapter 4, what's he say? Come up here after these things. He mentions it twice. Now, from chapter 4 all the way to the end of the Bible, the viewpoint is now in heaven. John is in the Lord. He's having a vision. He's in, 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 the, Lord, he's, uh, in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And now he is now cap, he's transported to heaven. And everything that he talks about from chapter 4 to the end is from heaven looking down to earth. So, uh, you know, it, uh, no mention of the church, not one mention of the church up from chapter 4, as she just read, verse 1, all the way to the end. Not even, a, not even a hint, unless you want to count the saints coming back, I think in chapter 19 of Revelations, when Jesus comes back, the war of Armageddon, and then he sets up his millennial kingdom. If you want to count that as a church, maybe the marriage supper of the Lamb, but that's after, that's after the seven years. That's a whole different, and then we're stepping into a whole different realm as well. But my point is, is that there's no mention of the church, but there's everything mentioning the Jews, the, the nation of Israel. Time and time again, the two prophets, everything centers on Israel. Amen. And so again, and the viewpoint is from heaven. The fourth thing <clears throat> is with the rapture, God goes back to his original plan. In other words, if you, if you look at the Bible, it started in the Garden of Eden. Man was not meant to die. At the end of the book, Man does not die, right? We live forever. And so we're going back to the plan of the glorified bodies. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 53.
Okay, so the resurrection transforms the bodies of believers who've already died, and it transforms the bodies of you and I who are here. (laughs) Because this thing cannot take on heaven, right? This is a mortal body, flesh and blood. It has to be changed in the process to live for eternity and to live with God, which I'm all for, by the way. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Because uh, this body's, I, I can see this body's not working too good. <laughs> and so it's like it's got, it's got some issues. Amen. I pull out the maintenance manual, but I haven't done maintenance on it for so long. I'm like one of those guys, you know. It's like, when's the last time you changed the oil? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Forgot. And so, and so I'm using this thing to, the, to its capacity. And then when I get done, I'm going to throw it away and get a new one. Amen. Or God's going to give me a new one. Praise God. So the two purposes give an indication, of course, of the timing of the rapture, which we hold to a pre-tribulation rapture. If God's purpose is to spare us from wrath and to shift focus on the Jews, then the rapture has to come first before the great tribulation. Are you with me this morning? I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. I know I've read all the books. I've read all the statements, uh, you know, all the different, you know, theories and whys and how comes. And it's always interesting when I read these things, it's always a little scripture here, a word here. Always somebody trying to be smarter than everybody else, you know what I'm saying? But you don't have to do that with the pre-tribulation rapture. You can get a, you can get a book on it. You know I mean? You can get a, a whole, everything I just said in this one little piece of paper here. Uh, and, and more beyond. Amen. Uh, I'm convinced. Amen. And so, and it just makes, makes me think, you know, why are people all of a sudden in the last probably decade now, but, you know, you'll, it rises and falls, as it always does in the Christian world. Uh, it, they, they start coming against it. It's like, why are you coming against it? What is your point? Is, I mean, is that, is that your ministry? God called you to come against, you know, the, uh, the, the body of Christ, to come against something like this? I mean, you know, in, in reality, you know, if you want to step back and look at it, it's like, okay, well, you know what? Live for God. Why are you attacking? Why is it being attacked? Not like, well, I don't believe in that. Okay, that's fine. But why is it being assaulted? It's like the baptism of the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues. Why is it being assaulted? Not just like, I don't believe in that. That's what it used to be. Now it's assaulted. Amen. I mean, people spending money to assault these things. And it's like, this is odd. Amen. But again, it's like the last days. Like, like Paul said, they will not listen to sound doctrine. They'll come up with things that they want to hear. And uh, so they have to hold the line. Amen. I think there's just so much evidence for the pre-tribulation rapture. I think Jesus could come back at any time. And I, I would love his appearing. I'd love it right now. Right now. Right now. All my worries are over. <laughs> no bills to pay. No hassles to mess with. I have to deal with this guy anymore. <laughs> I'd be like, praise God. I could use a rapture right about yesterday. Well, it's you, man. It's like, why would you want it? <laughs> any thoughts? Any 
injections. Go ahead. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, why would he do that? Uh, Ernie? Yeah. And that's And that's a picture of taking God out of the picture, right? You, you know, if you don't have laws, then what do you have? You have a third world nation that do, does what they want to do. You know, I mean, I remember going to Nigeria. We went through the whole, we went to the airport. <clears throat> this is like 1998, and uh, you know they go through and shake you down and everything. Well, some you got to pay a lot of money just to get through it. So they don't steal everything in your in your in your suitcase, because they take your jeans. They'll take your underwear. <laughs> no, they do. When we were in Turkey, a guy got his, his underwear stolen. Of course, it was like silk underwear. I'm like, what are you doing, dude? It's like, you know, you come to a place like this, you bring the tidy whities. You know, you don't bring the. You know, you don't bring your best stuff. You know what I mean? It's like, don't be shocked. I mean, it's a third world nation. They'll steal everything in your room. And so, you know. You bring, the, you bring the jeans that are wore out, you know, and stuff like that. So, but anyways, we came through the, we came through the airport security. Huh. We came through the airport security. We get out. We're, we're walking out to get to the car. I mean, we got, you got people all over the place carrying AK-47s. AK-47s. <laughs> and it's like, and they pull us over because, obviously, a little light. And so uh, they're not going to let us go through. And it's like, what's the problem? Luckily, I had a guy that I was meeting there. He is a Nigerian. He was living in England and went back to pastor. That's why we were there. It's an impact team. But it was like, it's like, oh, yeah, you're coming here to spy. Spy. On what? <laughs> what am I actually spying on? <laughs> you know, your poverty or you know, your insanity? The fact that you ain't got no roads and telephones and stoplights? Well, you got stoplights. Just none of them are hooked up. It's just a society of lawlessness. I mean, you're always looking over your shoulder. We'd have to get money changed. And back then, uh, you could get a, a 10-pound note, and it would equal, I think it was called Nara. Anyways, you get a stack of money like this. I'm, not, I'm serious. You, you go there with a little, like a, like a lunch bag, and you, you get your money changed over into Nigerian money. And because the economy is so screwed up, you give them like a one, one piece of American money or British money, <laughs> give you back step. You're walking out with like a little suitcase of money. You're thinking, I don't get this. Why don't we just do the math? You know, I mean, change, move the decimal point or something. You know, why do we have to carry 150, the dirtiest money you ever saw? Oh my gosh, it was so filthy. But you're walking out and you can just see people because they know what you're there for. 
Of course, this doesn't help. And so, you know, you walk in and you're like, all right, come this way. Don't look at that guy. Come this way. No, don't go down here. Go over that way. I'm like, this is crazy. You know, just for a few bucks in my pocket, it's like, just take the money. Don't shoot. You know what I mean? Just say, stick them up. I will. I'll stick them up. Just take it. It's only like 30 pounds. To them, it's like, you know, month's wage or something. Like, take it. I don't care. But they will. They'll shoot you in a heartbeat. Insane. Tires. They'll put tires over you. Bounce gasoline on you and set you on fire because you sold something. Or they think that you sold something. That's, that's lawlessness. That's a nation without law. And that's what's coming here. See, the only thing that keeps law and order is righteousness. It's the only thing. It's citizens that will do what is right. Because if every citizen says, stuff it, we don't want to have law, what are you going to do? Kill them all? I mean, you could. I mean, Stalin. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, what are you actually going to do? Just kill everybody in the country and then establish a new you know, military communist? Yep, that's probably what you're going to have to do. So all this push for socialism, which is just a mask for communism, it's got to go that way. It has to, because without righteousness, you can, democracy does not work. Amen. It will not work. Amen. It's the hand of God on the nation, and you keep on kicking God off. It's going that direction. And so when the Bible says lawlessness will abound, you know, to us, we can't think, because we live in a different world. You travel around the world a little bit, you can get a picture of what lawlessness is. It's not even that far. It's just south of our border, you know. When you have the drug cartels running a whole nation, it's like, whoa, where did that, how did that happen, you know? And so it's going to happen here as well. So anyways, we can go on and on and on. We're not moaning. We're just simply saying it's, uh, it's the way it is. So that's why we're looking at this thing called the rapture. Be prepared because God's going to snatch us away before he pours out his wrath. Amen. And there is nothing that stands in the way between Jesus coming back. There's nothing that has to be fulfilled. Interesting. Lord bless you. We'll see you for church here.